Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. I am indeed delighted to be here. I am glad to know that you broke the 11 o'clock rule of worship by appreciating some great music. Thank you again. And I also want you to take a moment to, uh, to thank all the people that did so much to make this weekend great for the consultation team. We had great refreshments all through the day, uh, great food at the, um, at the workshop yesterday, uh, and just we just have had a great time. I met some great people, and I'll tell you, as we show our appreciation, I hope you know how blessed you are uh, to have Pastor Chris is your pastor, because he has been absolutely delighted. Thank you, Chris. And we have really enjoyed getting to know him a little better, too. I, uh, I am the uh, lead consultant for this process. The um, lady went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I have some horrible news for you. Uh, you have a terminal illness. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. She said, oh, my gosh, I'm, surely there's something. Is there not? There, there's nothing that you can do? And the doctor said, well, he said, I would recommend maybe that you marry a consultant. And she said, well, will that make me live longer? And he said, no, but it'll sure seem that way. <laughs> so let's hope. It doesn't seem too long, at least this morning or whatever. Uh, I uh, had the privilege the last several years of my active ministry in the local church to work with some very, very good friends of mine that I'd gone to seminary with. And, and uh, this, uh, my, my, one of my very best friends, he and I used to play music a lot together. I'm an old five-string banjo picker. One of these days, maybe we'll, Chris and I'll work something up for you. You know, he's a good guitar player, too. Did you all know that? Anyway, um, and, and, and he was uh, uh, on, the, on the staff there at Lover's Lane, led some, I mean, uh, hot, uh, where did I serve? White Rock. And uh, <laughs> I said, I'm having flashbacks. I started at Lover's Lane. That was my first job out of seminary um, at White Rock. And, um, and so I got to know him very well, and he, but he always served in special appointments. He was there because we just wanted to work with him, but he, uh, he always, throughout his ministry, had special appointments. And while they were there, um, he and his wife took in foster children, and uh, they f- just fell in love. They took a couple of girls uh, that were very difficult to place, and one of them extremely so. Um, and so they just uh, had such a wonderful time uh, that they just adopted them. Now, he's my age, and he's got, I, anyway. <laughs> I have seven grandchildren, but I can send them home, you know. <laughs> But one of the little girls, the youngest one, uh, Jenny, is a little girl I want you to meet. Uh, she'll be looking at her. Jenny was born. Uh, her her uh, mother was uh, severe alcohol drug dependent. She suffered severely from the fetal alcohol syndrome. 
When she was born, they didn't think she would live. She was born with a club-footed, dislocated hip and some severe mental uh, challenges, but she is our little miracle girl. And not only uh, has she learned to, and I'm not making this up, somehow the club foot and the hip kind of healed itself when she was an infant. And we don't really know how that happened. We'd like to think divine providence. But at any rate, um, the doctors didn't think she would ever learn to walk or talk or take care of herself. And, and she is and always will be a very special little girl. But she's walking and she's talking and she is just the love of all of our lives. And so I just share that background. Hopefully you can feel and sense the picture I'm about to paint for you. When we kind of finished our gig at White Rock and all that, my friend took an appointment for the first time in his life to serve a local church, a little part-time country church out near Waco. And uh, when they went for the seating interview, the whole family went, where you meet with the staff parish relations committee, you know, and uh, they give you the tour of the church and all that. Well, when they were doing all of this, it was this old building, much probably like this one, you know. And they went into what was identified as the pastor's study. And when they went in the door, little Jenny went to the middle of the room and went, it smells like God in here. <laughs> well, folks, I just want to tell you, our, our hope and prayer is that somehow by what we've done this weekend, the work that you'll continue to do, we hope, um, and following through on the prescriptions, if you choose to accept them, will we'll help the idea that everybody who would come through the doors of this church would breathe in the very Spirit of God. Well, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Simon Peter, and his first encounter with Jesus. Now, Simon, you remember, is uh, Jesus renames Peter. Now, Peter in Greek means rock. And if you know anything, I've heard lots of exegesis about Simon, but something to the effect of Simon's a weak name, kind of a willowy kind of guy. And Jesus says, nah, you ain't going to be willow anymore. You're going to be rocky. And so he takes on this personality, we hope, of rocky. We learn he really doesn't. But Jesus called him Rocky anyway. Well, in this story, it begins this way, in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, do you get that picture? This is daily life for the people. These fishermen have been doing their job like they do probably every night. They've come in, they beach their boats, and they're taking out their equipment and cleaning it up, getting it ready for the next day. What they do every day, they're fishermen. People have gathered around to listen to this uh, traveling preacher that's come by. And they're kind of captured by him. They experience him speaking the word of God. And, they've, and now that's what people did, though. That's a normal kind of activity in their day. They didn't have movies. They didn't have television. You know, they didn't have Dairy Queen to go to. They were, that's what they did. If a good preacher came by, they wanted to, entertainment for sure. Now that's the picture. Now right in the middle of this daily normal activity, 
doing what they always do, Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, did you get that? Simon is just doing what he always does, and this preacher walks over and gets in his stuff. Have you ever been in a boat or tried to get in one that's kind of like beached up on the beach? You know, it's about half in the water and half on the land. What happens to that boat when you get in it? you got to be a little bit careful, don't you? Because that boat will start to rock for sure. Now, just as an aside, Jesus will get in your stuff and he'll rock your boat. I just want you to know that. That's what happens. Well, Jesus then asked him, to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, well, master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. One afternoon, several years ago, I was sitting in my reading chair in my living room. And my living room uh, has on the back side, uh, it's almost all glass. Big plate glass window and a sliding glass uh, doors. And it was one of those days where it was just, the temperature was just right, didn't need air conditioning, didn't need heating. You know, we have about two of those a year in Texas. You know those days. And so I opened the sliding glass door. It was comfortable. I was sitting in my chair and reading. And I heard behind me a life or death struggle. From the ferocity of the sound that was coming from behind me, it was serious. A fly was buzzing as loud as I've ever heard a fly and banging itself against that plate glass window. Its goal, no doubt, was to get outside. And it buzzed and it banged and it buzzed and it banged. And it became evident to me that this fly had a strategy. It knew how to get through the glass. Its strategy, try harder. Just try harder. Well, you know, I... I know, and I'm guessing you know, that no matter how hard that fly tried to get through that window, it is not going to get through that window, right? It is not getting through the window. And here's the problem. The fly strategy was a strategy that was a death trap. The fly was going to continue to bang against that glass until finally it spent all of its life energy and would fall dead on the windowsill. Now, just three feet away, a five-second fly, and that fly could have achieved the freedom that it so desperately was seeking. And I thought, why in the world doesn't that fly try something different? Jesus said, Simon, go out deeper 
and drop down your nets. And Simon said, hey, I've got a strategy. I know how to fish. It's my job. I've been fishing all my life. Now, the scripture doesn't always write down uh, or say everything that I believe that was said <laughs> or thought. But I'm believing that, I mean, I'm kind of putting myself in Simon's place. I put myself in your place or put si you in Simon, Simon in your place, whatever. And uh, I imagine the conversation or the thought was something like, give me a break. I've been fishing all night long. I'm a fisherman. I know where the fish are. Preacher, how about you stick to preaching and I'll stick to doing my job? You've never said anything like that, have you? Never thought anything like that, have you? But at any rate, Simon says, well, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Well, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Well, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, when you read this, what this sounds very much like, I think, is that Peter has experienced a miracle. And it has blown him away, and he's having his come to Jesus moment. Is that how you read that? Now, come to Jesus moments are important. We all need them, probably have all had at least one somewhere in our life, haven't we? For sure, that's important. But you know what? I may be a little too skeptical, but I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think this is a come to Jesus moment that we think it is at first reading. And I'll tell you why. Isn't it interesting? Just a little word that had dropped in here. When, when Jesus said, go out deep and catch some fish, Simon's response was, Master, Master, we've worked all day. An odd way to talk to someone that you just met. Isn't it? But what we realize is this is not the first time that Simon and Jesus have been together because in the chapter right before this, like the day before this happens out on the side of the lake, we read this. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. Did y'all know that Peter was married? A lot of people think that's why he just kind of left and went for three years with Jesus. <laughs> so, so he bent over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Where's the, oh, Lord, be away from me. I'm a sinful man when the miracle happens. Why? Why not then? 
And then it goes on and says, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed him. Now, did you get that? This is a major healing service. People from all over the county have showed up, and they're sitting in Peter's living room. Jesus is throwing out sickness and demons and everything going on, and Simon just sitting there. What's he doing? Sitting in his lazy boy, reading a sports page, not paying any attention? Why? Why? Oh, Lord, be away from me. I'm a sinful man there. Why not there? Why on the fishing boat? Why on the fishing boat? Well, I'll tell you why. Paydirt. That's why. Paydirt. What does Simon do for a living? He's a fisherman, right? Look at what's going on. He has just pulled in the biggest catch of his life. I can see the dollar signs rolling around in his head right now. I mean, look at this. He's got more fish than he's ever seen. He's got, oh my goodness, he's got enough to, he'll make enough off of this catch to retire. Man, he can buy that retirement home in the mountains in Colorado. He's so excited he can't hardly stand it. And all of a sudden, can you see it? Feel this now. He's sitting there, his eyes bigger than silver dollars, and he looks up and there's Jesus looking at him. Their eyes meet. And he goes, uh, oh, oh, no, Lord. Uh, get away from me. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful man. You go on, get you another disciple somewhere else. You see, it's real easy to say, Master, when the Master doesn't demand anything of you. It's real easy, isn't it? It's real easy to say yes to Jesus when it's somebody else who's doing the sacrificing. It's a whole nother thing when I have to give something up. It's a whole other thing when I have to sacrifice something that I've dreamed for all my life, that I've wanted all my life, that I've worked hard for all my life. Can you feel it? You feel the compromise? It's much easier to believe in Jesus when nothing is demanded of us. My wife and I have a yours and mine family. We have five children between us. Our two oldest boys are just six weeks apart. Our two youngest, a girl and a boy, my son, her daughter, are three days apart. And I have a daughter in the middle. They're all five years between the oldest and the youngest. It's like we had two sets of twins. We'd go into restaurants and you'd see the waiters go, you take them, no, you take them, no, you take them. One of the favorite things in our house on Saturday morning is when Kay, my wife, would cook German pancakes. She, she comes from a German family in uh, Alva, Oklahoma. Anybody know where Alva, Oklahoma is? Oh, it's, oh there you go. I had never heard of it until I met her. I, the Alva Goldbugs. What is that? First time I went up there, Chris, the, uh, everyone was saying, how about them bugs? How about them bugs? And I'm like, what is wrong with the people in this town? 
And she would cook these German pancakes, and the kids, and we'd have bacon and these pancakes, and the kids just loved it. They just loved it. And so one Saturday morning, bacon has the smells going through the house, you know, and, and she's making German pancakes. Two oldest boys come running into the kitchen, and they're arguing about who's going to get the first pancakes that come off out of the griddle. And, uh, and Kay sees this, you know, good, good preacher's wife. She sees this as a teaching moment. So she says, well, boys, you know, Jesus would say, let my brother have the first pancakes. I can wait. And so Carrie said, okay, Darren, you be Jesus. <laughs> it's a whole, a whole lot easier to say you be Jesus than it is for me to accept the responsibility for me <laughs> to be Jesus, right? You see, Jesus says, Simon, Rocky, do something you've never done before. I know you think you know how to do this, but I'm asking you to take a risk. Get out there where you haven't been before. Get into a little bit of deeper water. And then see what happens. And then... Jesus says, when all this has happened, he says to Simon, Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because from now on, I will teach you to fish for people. And you know what happened? They pull their boats up on the shore. Now get this. They left everything. Now, look, I want to tell you something. If you don't get anything else out of what I've said this morning or out of anything that happens this weekend, you write this down. Friends, if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. If you ain't fishing, you ain't following. When Jesus lays his hand upon you, meets you eye to eye, comes into your life and rocks your boat, demands of you things that you don't want to give up, asks you to sacrifice things that you don't want to sacrifice. The reason is because Jesus is wanting to teach you how to fish for people. When we lived in Paris, Texas, one of our we uh, one of our favorite things to do is to take the family up to uh, Broken Bow, and we would spend the day at Broken Bow, and and uh, it was great because it was you could go to these little private kind of like almost campsites, picnic sites, and the kids could run and play, and we could not have to worry about them. And so we had made plans to go up there one day, but the the, the problem is, I told him, I said, look. You know how this, you know how they'll do this to you, Chris. They had a church meeting. It's important because it was a church meeting. Being a preacher, I had to go to the church meeting. So I told the kids when we get there, look, we got a meeting I've got to be at at 7:30. So we're gonna gather here. We gotta leave no later than 5:30, so I have time to get back and get ready and get to the meeting. Everybody's agreed. Everybody's got to watch. We all know what time it is. They went off and played and then 
Hours go by, and finally about 5.15, everybody starts kind of showing up. Everybody's gathering around, you know, except Nathan. Does anybody know where Nathan is? No, I don't know where Nathan is. Well, where's Nathan? So we start calling, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. No, Nathan. So we start spreading out, trying to find Nathan. We start asking other picnickers if they'd seen a little towhead boy. No, they hadn't seen him. Finally, I came to this kind of a little clearing in the brush area there, and I leaned up against a big rock, and I thought, you know, this is crazy. Everybody else, everybody knew what time to be there. Everybody was there on time, except Nathan. You know what would serve him right? If we just went off and left him. I mean, I got four other children that love me. Just one. So I gathered all the kids back together. And I said, get in the car. We're leaving. So I started up the car and we drove off. Now, folks... If I had really done that, I'd be the world's worst dad, wouldn't I? To leave a little boy by himself in the wilderness all alone, that would be, that would just be despicable. Friends, our Heavenly Father has no intention of leaving any of God's children alone in this wilderness. That's not God's intention. If that were God's intention, he would be the worst father in the history of mankind, of Godkind, whatever kind, right? No, God has no intention of any of God's children being left alone. Now, I want you to hear this. Clearly, clearly, God has called the church to go and fish. To go and fish. And the Healthy Church Initiative, we hope, will somehow help you to see where the fish are, right? To maybe equip you with the right kind of bait to be more effective at catching the fish more effective, you know, because I know how difficult it is for us to do that because after all, you know, they know what time we meet. We're here, right? We have each other. We don't need, you know, to love. But no, no. We've been given a task to go, to seek them, to find them, and to fish because we know if we ain't fishing, we ain't following. I opened a little story about my friend Jenny. Let me close with one. Jenny really grew up in our church there at White Rock, and I'll never forget her baptism. We had the greatest time. She was so precious. One day, my friend told me that they were leaving, going home from church, and on the trip home, she looked at her dad. She goes, Dad, I'm confused. And he said, well, what are you confused about? She said, George, 
And he said, well, what about, what about George? And she said, well, George said that God is bigger than us, right? And he goes, yeah, well, yeah. Well, and George said that God lives inside of us, right? Well, yeah. Well, if God is bigger than us and, and God lives inside us, shouldn't he show through? Yes, Jenny, he should. <laughs>